I'm a fool to do your dirty work. Oh yeah. I don't want to go for podcast. Boom, 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 boom. Beat it up. Uh, do we do we officially land on a name today? I think we did. It's it, yeah. At very least, we're gonna give it a uh, we're gonna give it a tryout. Yeah. Okay. So if you're listening to this, and the name of the podcast is "Stealing in the Dan," <laughs> then we landed on <laughs> "Stealing in the Dan" as as the name of of this podcast. Yeah. Credit to. I I thought of it. <laughs> you are. Uh, I'm. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm one of the hosts of the show. I am Joe McElhaney. Uh, I am two of the. Well, I am number two. I am not two of the three hosts. I am one of the two hosts. Number two. Well, Scott. not a ranked thing. <laughs> you it's are co number one. Only in terms of like who showed up to the studio in what order. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, I am Scott Beckett. Uh, yeah, and with us always is uh, producer Dakota. Hello. And we are here for episode uh, two, the third episode, but episode number two yes. of Stealing in the Dan. We're here to talk with you about the song Dirty Work. You've heard it. You love it. We're getting to the bottom of it. What does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to dig through the, uh, the foggy mystery that is Dirty Work and uh, maybe have a tough conversation with, uh, with David Palmer. Yeah, he's he needs a talking to. <laughs> uh, David Palmer can go ahead and have a seat and close the door. Yeah. Uh, for, before we uh, dive in uh, with the expert take, yeah, Dakota, this is your first time hearing Dirty Work, right? Yes, I had just heard it for the very first time in my life. And what's what's your take? I would believe if you told me that is their number one hit of all time. Ooh. It, it sounds like a viable pop song. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. It. It was it officially a single. Uh, I feel like it had to have been a single, uh, and I should have done that uh, research ahead of time. Yeah, I was relying on you. <laughs> uh, I. This is what I'm gonna. I think it was a B side that got radio play and became a hit. Right. It definitely got radio play for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. one. It's a song that casual Steely Dan fans will know. Yeah. Yeah. You will. You will have heard it. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. Off of the uh, the first album, which we are working our way through, "Can't Buy a Thrill," uh, nineteen seventy two. Mm, good um, year. Good year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. Last week's episode, obviously, we covered uh, track one. Um. Uh. Do it again. Uh. And uh. And uh. And now we're here uh to to talk about uh, track two, "Dirty Work." Um. And we t- we talked a little bit about uh, David Palmer uh, last week and uh, in our uh, first episode where we were uh, giving a rough biography of of Steely Dan. Um, for the first album, uh, we said uh, uh, ABC Records had built uh, a, a a band around the songwriting duo of Donald Fagan and, and Walter Becker, and uh, at, at a minimum, Donald, if not other people in the band, were concerned about Donald's ability to be the the lead vocalist uh, of the band. And I think we said uh, uh, Donald has a distinctive voice, and he can he can carry a tune, uh, but he's maybe not like a classically great singer. Yeah, and and he. Uh... I, you know, I don't want to disparage the man's looks. He's not—he's <laughs> not what we think of when we think of uh, front front man. Right. Uh, he's got a—he looks like a character actor from like the fifties or something. It um, would—it wouldn't take a ton of prosthetics to make Donald Fagan look like a creature from Jim Henson's workshop, like oh, yeah, like a la yeah. labyrinth or something. Yeah, he's. Like, like if, if Donald Fagan could clone himself and that were cheaper than making 
prosthetics, then they could save a lot of money on prosthetics by just casting Donald Fagan clones. Yeah, would it be fair to call him a fish-like man? <laughs> yeah, for some reason I wanted to say troll-like. Not okay. necessarily in a bad like way. Like a troll and a fish made love. <laughs> like a fish troll. But, I mean, he's got, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure he's... If you remember uh, uh, Billy Crystal and um, <laughs> who's the delightful uh, comedian um, that played his wife in, um, in uh, uh, The Princess Bride... Like they're they're sort of like uh, gnome-like characters. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they're sort of like gnome-like characters from A Princess Bride. Like they look like Donald Fagan looks like he could be the child of that uh, happy relationship. Not not having any memory <laughs> of that. I'll say that it sounds right to me. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so so David Palmer was the uh, the pro singer that they brought in, the face and the voice uh, that they brought in, uh, and he sings uh, backing vocals. I think on most, if not all, the tracks, and he sings lead vocals on two tracks on uh, Can't Buy a Thrill, um, this being sort of his all-star performance, uh, as, uh, as Dakota rightly snuffed out. This is probably the best, the, the most notable thing he will be uh, remembered for. Yeah, uh, uh, this, is the high, this is the peak of his, his career in life, is the vocals for... I mean, I'm sure maybe he had, uh, you know, maybe he has some kids or something. <laughs> the day they were born, he would rank as his... Yeah his highest moment but uh the song is his legacy yeah and uh, uh we've 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 talked about this a, a fair amount uh, i teased last week um joe's incredible take on this song um that uh, that he laid on me um when we had our our pre-planning meeting uh, at alchemy coffee weeks ago um uh joe's take was uh <laughs> we we have said that like uh, one of the reasons that we're interested in steely dan is that uh, they have sort of a, a consistent view a mm. worldview or a consistent uh, theme or, or feel to all of their songs, like pretty dark, pretty cynical, uh, pretty snide. Uh, and this song almost completely uh, uh, breaks free of that uh, uh, yeah. sort of like out of, outside of those guardrails. This song is the lyrics are on the nose. Mm. Uh, the emotion is like uh, purely clearly stated. Um, it's it's plaintive. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and and yeah, to Dakota's point, it sounds uh, sweet, maybe. I would call it a soft rock song. Yeah, it's for sure. Yeah, like I, one of the bullet points I've had on in my notes for this is uh, for a long time is like, how offended do you get when somebody calls uh, Steely Dan a, a soft rock song uh, or a soft rock band? Um, and normally, you know, I, I want to be vehement about it, but I think the 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 chink in Steely Dan's armor in terms of not being a soft rock band is this song. Yeah, uh, it is the outlier. If, if there is an outlier in the discography, it's, it's this song. Um, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, and I don't think... Uh, that's not just me and Joe. Uh, I'm looking at the All Music Review here written by Stuart Mason, uh, and he said, uh, 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 <laughs> With its soulful clavinet and tenor sax opening and upward modulating chorus... Dirty Work is by some measure the most commercial sounding song on Can't Buy a Thrill, sounding rather like the group's ABC Records label mates, Three Dog Night, covering one of Todd Rundgren's Philly Soul Ballads. Oh, okay. I could see that. Yeah. I, I, I think that they included this song, like they didn't want to put this on the album, but that they did it as a concession to the, to the record execs. Um, I hadn't heard that, but I would totally buy it. Uh and who execs who thought that maybe Three Dog Night could do <laughs> could do the song? Um, yeah, which would not be again. Yeah, like we said um, uh, originally, Donald Donald Fagan and Walter Becker were like trying to make a career as songwriters for other artists. Mm -hmm. They wrote uh, a song. I was uh, in my uh, uh, half-assed research. Uh, I was. Uh, I, they did a. Uh, they uh, they wrote a song that that Barbara Streisand 
uh, recorded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which actually we'll talk about more next week because there's a, a sort of tangential tie-in. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's pretty loose, but uh, but it's worth mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, it's it's sort of the sweet, sappy, easy listening, Steely Dan. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's um, <laughs> I got to say, the more I like Steely Dan, the less I like this song. <laughs> uh, at first I heard it and I was like, yeah, this is, it's got like a good kind of wake and bake vibe to it. Yep. Um, it's, it's, if you're half into the band half ironically you yep. can you can uh, definitely appreciate this one play it with your friends like <laughs> <laughs> listen to this sad sappy <laughs> shit um yeah but i've got to say my enthusiasm for the song has has gone down. i'm a little ambivalent on the song i don't dislike it yeah um i think but, that's fair and i i think the problem with the song is it's not just david palmer um, not solely, and I think when we when we first uh, talked about the podcast, I said something like, "I'm not sure if this song could be sung well because I had listened to a Pointer Sisters cover of it." Oh right, yeah, and uh, I was like, "This something's still off about this." Yeah, and I realized it's not the way the song is sung; it's the perspective of the song. Yeah, uh, which is incredibly self pitying yeah. and uh, kind of off putting to me. A little bit, yeah, and I, thought, I and I didn't get to it. I was starting to get up to it because I know we teased it last week, but I, I still haven't laid your take out, which was yeah, that was your build up to your uh, mind blowing take, which uh, galaxy brained me, which was um, uh, uh, the perspective in Dirty Work. The singer of the character in Dirty Work is the other person in every other Steely Dan song. Every other Steely Dan song is sung from the perspective of like the other people in this relationship. When you said that to me last week, I I have. I had no recollection <laughs> of saying that. Um, I said something like, I pull a lot of things out of my ass. Yeah. And when, when you pull your ideas out <laughs> of your ass, you regard most of them as shit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then I thought about it and I was like, I think Scott said that. I feel like that was your, you blew your own mind. <laughs> uh, maybe. It might have been something that we that we found together. Yeah. If, uh, I, if I can, if, 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 the, the, the one way in which I'm comfortable uh, tooting my own horn is uh, I think I'm a pretty collaborative conversationalist. Yeah. And other people have told me this, that like uh, sometimes you're talking to somebody, this is the best compliment I ever got was a friend of mine years ago uh, wrote on her blog uh, after a person I went to high school with, didn't see for many years, and then ran into her, shot some pool uh, randomly one night. Uh, and then uh, she had a blog that she was pretty active in updating. And um, a couple weeks later, she was like recounting this night. And uh, she said, Scott's one of those guys where like normally you're in conversation with people and they're just waiting for their turn to talk. And with Scott, you feel like you're building something together. Yeah, yeah, so, that that feels right. So That's, it may be it may be that this is a collaborative take. I'm still not willing to take full credit for this. Yeah, take, I, and I'm have. not I'm not trying to uh, hoist the idea on you entirely. <laughs> I'll take I'll take half cred. Yeah, um, I'm not sure that I can defend it totally, but I it feels right. Yeah, it feels right. Because um, in a way, this character is a loser, like anybody else in Steely Dan. But yeah, he's a different breed of loser yeah he's not beaten down enough i don't know there's not uh i don't know he does seem to have accepted his fate but like yeah like your normal steely dan character would be sort of resigned to their fate and maybe bitter because of it but not sad yeah uh should we should we lay out what the what this character's what the plot of the song is if if songs have plots (laughs) yeah right so um it it is pretty on the nose but uh it reveals itself pretty quickly 
yeah. um, that there's some that this is a love triangle, and it seems like there's a long term relationship that's happening. Uh, and uh, the um, uh, I don't you know I don't want to assume genders uh, in this day and age, um, but uh, uh, it seems like there's a long there's a long distance relationship, and and one of the members of that long distance relationship, whenever their significant other is out of town. Uh, or away for any reason. Uh, David Palmer or David Palmer's character gets gets the nod to to, to come over for some uh, for some loving on the run. Yeah, uh, uh, I think I think they do say when your man, oh yeah, when okay. your man's not around. Yeah. Uh, so so we can. Although when when the pointer singers pointer sisters sing it, yeah. they flip it, and uh, I I understand that when Steely Dan finally started doing the song live in again like in 2006 or something they have their uh, back backup singers sing it oh and they flip it uh the genders again that makes sense yeah because for a long time oh yeah so i don't know if we ever got around to saying so david palmer left the band after this record basically although he d- did backing vocals again on countdown to ecstasy um but yeah he was uh what part of the original lineup i mean this would happen to everybody but donald and walter at some point but he was the first one to get the axe yeah um and uh a good choice i think yeah 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 <laughs> uh i i can maybe stick up for his performance on brooklyn knows the charmer under me a little more but um obviously we'll get to that <laughs> in a few weeks but i'm uh, interested to hear your defense <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah this song uh it's funny um so uh, normally we talk about, or at least last week we, we sort of broke this down of like, what was your thoughts about this song before it being the focus of this episode? And then what's your thoughts now having exposed yourself to a bunch of it? And I think we're, we're, we're doing that a little uh, looser this week. Um, but yeah, probably roughly the same. Like you said, like as an ironic listener of Steely Dan, it seemed of a piece. Um, it was certainly, um, out there, uh, up there would do it again in terms of like, yeah, this is a song I was aware of, you know, for, for, for many years. Um, but yeah, like in this one, I think um, like that this shift of like, oh, this doesn't really fit happens. You know, we talked about before, like the the sort of moment when you sort of decide to engage strongly with Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't take long after that for this song to sort of become like a, a loose thread. Yeah. That you want to tug at. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it just doesn't <laughs> sound, it doesn't sound like anything else in there. Um yeah. So like now having spent a bunch more time with it, any any shift in your thoughts from like so the, we've got sort of three eras. There's like casual Dan listener or you know typical uh, music listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got like active Dan listener, uh, and then now you've got a studious uh, Dan podcaster. Any shift from uh, active to studious? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I I think my whatever. Uh, displeasure I, I feel when I listen to the song comes less f- from me as a Steely Dan fan than me as a as a person. <laughs> it's like I just I don't I don't like how this this guy's the way the song is framed. Yeah, the the speaker of the song is. He's helpless. Yeah. This woman comes calling and he had, oh, oh, I'm caught again. And and the, the picturing a fainting couch. Yeah. The the first verse like frames it almost as like his labor is being exploited. (laughs) Oh, I love this. The leftist uh, materialist. He'll he'll do the job for free. Yeah. You know, Um, because it's, it's just, uh, I don't know if there was some, I, I almost want the song to be, a little angrier or yeah. a little kinkier. Yeah. Like where he's like kind of glad to be stepped on yeah. and used. Um, but instead it's just kind of this guy feeling sorry for himself. 
Yeah, it wouldn't take much to make this a Dan song, but it's yeah. as it is, it is very clearly not a Steely Dan song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Um, yeah, I'll say, um, yeah, like I was like, when I, as a casual listener, I was like, this song is fine. As an active listener, I was like, this is not a Steely Dan song, and I don't really, you know, I wouldn't like, I guess if I was thinking about it, I might skip it um, if I was like playing through the album. Um, but, you know, not like, not like definitely every time vehemently um but yeah it's not not a song i care to hear it's, yeah. i don't i don't hate it and then and then sitting down and listening to it a lot in preparation for for this week yeah it's it, it i think it was like that's like a low resolution view of my opinion of the song and i think we're like we're you know we're clarifying it um as we talk about it and i i think i, I like we're in a similar boat where i don't dislike this song i don't think it's a bad song uh, I don't mind listening to it, but I would never choose to listen to it. And especially, it's it's within the context of Steely Dan, uh, it's it's a it's a real outlier. Um, like the the clavinet, I actually kind of do like. Um, uh, I especially like the. Uh, it's weird. Like I like the vamp that it does, like on the the build up to the chorus, like the I like that little vamp. Um, the sax solo is another one where it's like that's a fine sax solo, but it belongs in a Billy Joel song. Like, yeah, I, I mean, for me, maybe the sax solo is is the peak of the song, um, but it you know it doesn't it doesn't necessarily. Uh, I don't know that it it brings the the emotions of the songs to any sort of uh, coherent place it's just like yeah. a cool sax solo yeah um, and it doesn't um right it doesn't make it any more of a steely dan song because it's not jazzy enough yeah um yeah so it, it's just sort of this like you know like sort of uh pointless filigree it's it's pretty but it's yeah it's not serving any purpose i think you saying it belongs in a billy joel song may have ruined what was my favorite <laughs> part of the song <laughs> now every time i hear it i'm just gonna be like god damn it yeah oh well sorry um yeah, so uh, again, feel bad, awkward conversation. Sorry, David Palmer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not you, it's us. Um. <laughs> I, I did think uh, I can kind of tie it to do it again in a couple ways. Okay, yeah. Where, um, you know, you do get the sense, like, the guy says something like, you know, uh, you send the maid home early, yeah. uh, like a thousand times before. This is something that keeps happening, and mm-hmm. he's trapped in this cycle just like the guy and do it again yeah do it again do it again (laughs) um and and also the the uh organ from last week comes Mm -hmm. back um here much warmer it gives it gives the song uh Oh, really? Are you gonna? Are you, <laughs> no, you playing a track? Uh, no. <laughs> just like doing like the worst way to try to get the lyrics up. But uh, uh, no, sorry. Continue. It, it gives the song a warmth instead of like in yeah. uh, in Do It Again, where it, it's uh, you know an, a funhouse nightmare. Yeah, like um, a queasiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This song is just like uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's like. Um, like the visual version of this is like a like a seventies living room with like a sunken uh, you know like a sunken seating area and it's like at first in, in shag carpeting and yeah, like avocado absolutely avocado green appliances and like burnt orange uh, mm. shag carpeting it like you look at it for like five seconds you're like oh that's cool that looks com- comfortable and if you look at it for fifteen seconds you're like this is a nightmare yeah my head is spinning <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm trying to think yeah because the other um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I like to talk about the lyrics because uh, so often I, um, I I like to uh, nerd out on the on the language. There's like there's interesting things, but not things that I necessarily like. Just like those first opening lines, uh, times are getting hard. You're afraid to pay the fee. 
so you find some yourself somebody who can do the job for free. I was I'm, and I, I was like trying to puzzle out. Is like is that some sort of clever wordplay or is that like literally the the other person in this song will engage prostitutes if they get desperate? Oh, I didn't even think about that. I I just thought it was like you don't want to do the hard work of making your marriage or long term relationship work, so you you bring in a, yeah. a pinch hitter. Okay, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the right read. I, and I yeah, like I want it to be like I want it to be good writing, not just like a a, a barely oblique reference to uh, yeah <laughs> to literally hiring sex workers. Yeah, um, there's the the chess metaphor yeah. in the second verse, which is. Oh yeah, that was. I wanted to fact check it. I wanted to see if I could do a well actually on. Uh, yeah, because the line is um, like the castle in its corner in a medieval game. Yeah, just I, call it fucking chess. <laughs> what I wanted, to, I, like, I what I really wanted to be true was to find out that like chess wasn't around in the med- medieval era. Yeah, um, but it was like invented by Persians, so it probably was. Although I don't know if it was played in Western Europe, but yeah. until in the medieval era. But yeah, I, that to me like. It feels very strained in a way that few things in uh, Steely Dan uh, feel strained. Like that, um, this is not a game of chess. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's weird. I mean, although, like, uh, again, like hinting uh, uh, toward next week's episode, I do think that's an interesting tie-in to track track uh, mm. three. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which maybe that's the only reason it's in there. I don't know. But yeah, it's like the metaphor. I'm not even sure I understand. Like a castle in its corner in a medieval game. Um, I foresee. Oh, yeah, and this this line always like again catches my ear, but I don't think I like it. I foresee terrible trouble, like as opposed to what kind of trouble. Um, uh, and I stay here just the same. Yeah, again, makes more sense in Kings next week of like, oh, the castle is sort of like duty bound, or you know, the the strictures of society have assigned it this role to protect the king at all costs. But like, what does it mean in the context of this song? Yeah, yeah I I don't know enough about chess. I feel like. <laughs> Uh, I know, I know the rook. You can move straight or sideways. Is right. that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're in the corner, right? And it, it's it, it has this. There's this weird. Do you know about castling the move in chess? The chess move castling. Uh, not sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the, the rook is the castle at the same time. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, the the castle can do this weird thing. Um, I think, and this is where I'm not a chess expert either. And it, um, but I think like, um, it assuming. Like there's this, there's a very specific scenario in which you can do this, and you would always do it towards the beginning of the game. But um, assuming you do the right couple of preparatory moves, you can sort of switch the the position of the castle and the king. It's called castling your king. Mm. So your king moves to the corner, and your castle takes that sort of central part, it's still in the back row. Mm. Uh, but it's a it's a defensive move, and like that's the that's the only sort of uh, uh, unique thing about the the rook is like you can well, I, guess, I guess the the woman in the song is switching her uh, her king out for a, <laughs> for a building <laughs> I, I don't know uh we can make that work <laughs> yeah sure we got there um but yeah dirty work i don't yeah i mean i don't know what to say i don't i don't i don't mind it but uh but uh yeah if it was another band's song i would like it more yeah um probably because uh, it is it is like good am gold kind of kind of ride but mm-hmm. uh once you really those lyrics they get under my skin and not in a good way yeah it's uh, very yeah it's very vanilla yeah. i don't know I, it, this uh you know if we want to get personal or you know this is a, this is maybe too personal a question have you ever been involved in a love triangle before uh you're a, you're a presumably happily married man, a married man. <laughs> yeah, I will uh, state for the record I am a happily married man currently. Um, 
not in any sort of uh, terribly tawdry way. There's probably been like uh, I guess you know what they what they call these days like emotional affairs. Yeah, um, I was probably uh, involved in that, but um, in a couple of those. But yeah, like this this song doesn't really like call to any of those experiences uh, from 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 my past because I feel like that was like more of a high school phenomenon for yeah. for yeah. me. Um, yeah, certainly never in, in later years have I uh, uh, had a, sort of like an extra marital or, uh, you know, on the side. I've, I've never been any uh, angle in this triangle. Yeah. I would hope that if you had, you would talk about it. <laughs> no, I'd be happy to. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I'm a wide open book, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, so, so, so uh, Dirty Work, uh, feel free to skip this one if, yeah. uh, if you haven't listened to it so far. Or if, you, if you're... One of the people that listens to the podcast does not like Steely Dan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Give this one a shot. Give this one a shot. You <laughs> might like it. This might be the one Steely Dan song you like. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So um, as as always, um, we uh, came here to talk about this. And, and last week, we uh, we t- teed up a couple of uh, things. Uh, each, uh, Joe and I, uh, teed up something that this song makes us think of uh, to talk about as well. Which is great because it uh, turns out we don't have much and uh, certainly not much good to say about Dirty Work. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, um, uh, last week, uh, my suggestion, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the piece of media that, that, that came to mind as I thought about, uh, the themes and the narrative of this song was, uh, the movie Closer, directed by Mike Nichols in 2004, starring, um, uh, Julia Roberts, uh, Natalie Portman, uh, Jude Law, and, um, Clive Owen. Uh, the story, very briefly, um, <laughs> um, uh, it's set in London. Um, uh, Jude Law's character Dan uh, meets uh, uh, Natalie Portman's character Alice uh, mm-hmm. on the street. Uh, they begin a relationship. Um, that relationship leads to Dan meeting Julia Roberts' character Anna. Uh, they begin a relationship <laughs> while Dan is in a relationship with Alice. Uh, or no, sorry. So first uh, they, they meet uh, and that leads to uh, Anna meeting Clive Owen's character Larry. Um, uh, they begin a relationship and then later, uh, while, uh, Larry and Anna are in a relationship and Dan and Alice are in a relationship, Dan and Anna begin an affair. Uh, that sort of, uh, uh leads to a general collapse. Uh, and there's sort of, uh, a, uh, a, 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 a chaotic, uh, mix of, of people pairing and, and breaking up, uh, throughout the, the rest of the film. General collapse. <laughs> Genital collapse. <laughs> oh, hi-oh. <laughs> oh, um, Jesus. Uh, I was excited that, um, uh, is that a fair synopsis? Anything? Uh, I mean, we'll probably get more into the story beats. Yeah, we can, there are a couple of details that I'll want to tease out, but yeah, that that's, yeah, it's a tank, the tangled affairs yeah. of four people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was excited that you hadn't seen this movie uh, yet. I'll say, like, I saw this movie in the theater when it came out. I think I saw it, um... Uh, I think I bought the DVD at some point, like maybe a year or two after it was in the theaters, saw it both times. And just, um, uh, this is a weird one for me because typically I don't, um, revel in like the misery of others. Um, but I really enjoyed this movie. Like this movie grabbed me. I really enjoyed it. You know, so much so that I like enthusiastically picked it up again later on DVD. Um, and I will say like the thing that does make sense for me in terms of like my media habits is, um, it was written originally as a play and then adapted by Mike Nichols for the screen. Um, that's like sort of one of the common knocks on it is like, like many plays that are adapted for the screen, it still feels like a play. Um, but the, the writing is obviously like is, is also, um, it's very snappy, very sharp, um, very like, you know, 
constructed, uh, which turns some people off, but like that sort of thing tends to delight me. So like that's, um, and then obviously like the thematic, like people, uh, screwing around on each other, uh, is what brought it to mind. But, uh, that's why I was excited to bring it to you and you hadn't seen it before. So I'm curious to hear what you thought. Yeah. Um, uh, well, it, my sort of memory of this movie when it came out is I think some of my friends, uh, really glommed onto it. This came out when I was in high school. Okay. And it felt kind of like, uh, it also came out the same year as Garden State, which for, for, big year uh, for Natalie Portman, big year for Natalie Portman. I, I was thinking about this earlier, maybe the year where she became an adult actress kind of, right. or, uh, or like an awards winning, an a award, serious, yeah, a serious, serious actress. actress. There yeah. we go. Or, and, uh, I think because my friend, you know, Garden State very much for high school kids at that time was a big movie uh, embarrassingly so yeah uh i think maybe the natalie portman connection brought them to it yeah and it seemed kind of like this is an adult movie yeah this is about what being an adult and being like an affair is like yeah um i never saw it but that was kind of my in a way i kind of dismissed it um because of that Mm mm-hmm and I, I I watched it. It starts with a Damien Rice song, uh, and like they're walking, in, uh, Jude Law and Natalie Portman are like walking in slow motion. Yeah. And I was like, God damn, this is gonna be tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is gonna be hard, uh, hard to watch. Yeah. And uh, like it, it picked up. I was not, I was not bored. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know that I, <laughs> I can say that I, I liked the movie, but. Yeah. Um, you know it's hard. It's hard not to be entertained watching uh, beautiful people do terrible things to each other. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, how do you think the movie has aged? Hmm. Interesting. Like, do do they make this? This seems like there's a conversation that goes on, especially now with like Marvel movies and everything, where people are like, "Do they make movies for adults anymore?" <laughs> and and there's kind of been a loss of the like mid budget, oh yeah, adult themed drama. And I think there's been kind of a loss of uh, of films about sex and relationships, yeah. uh, in kind of a mainstream. Uh, context like specifically geared for uh, a slightly more sophisticated adult audience yeah i mean for sure like in the hollywood scene right as like as i say like if do they make this movie again today or in this era um i think it's like because i think like i'm not sure what the budget on this was i would be surprised if it was over 20 or 30 million um and probably all for the actors yeah exactly you could film this much cheaper than whatever they i mean there was a couple of like very gorgeous spaces that they shoot in um but you could make this like dirt cheap like i was thinking of other um like uh, adaptations of plays and there was the one recently that they did i think it was amazon prime um the one with uh, tommy lee jones and um uh samuel jackson um was it based on like Cormac McCarthy? Yeah, it's the, the something, Sunset Limited. Maybe? Some something limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like you could totally do this version. You could totally do that version of of Closer for cheap, and it would probably end up on Amazon Prime or or uh, or Netflix or Hulu or something like that. But yeah, certainly not as a major studio. Yeah, uh, release. I thought you were going to say like, has this movie become problematic? And I was like racing through, and I was like, I mean, these aren't good people, but I don't think there's anything politically. Yeah, well, I think the only the only. I think maybe people would or studios would shy away from some of it now, not yeah. because it's problematic necessarily, but because it's uh, 
Um, there's something about like Clive Owen's character that's he's yeah. Well, I'd love to dig into that because it seems like that's sort of like one of the things that the movie is like putting forward is like he's a very distinctive character. Yeah, I I kept thinking of him and Natalie Portman um, as kind of. Uh, I don't want to say the masculine and feminine spirit, but like kind of the the uh, archetypal, like what we think of as um, masculinity and femininity. Yeah. I, without, I don't want to sound like Jordan fucking Peterson or something. <laughs> but, um, Tell me about lobster. Uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> Should I, I make not. my bed? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but that that seemed to me like they're definitely the most interesting characters in the movie. Uh, okay, or or the most. Um, uh, dynamic characters and and uh, I don't know. You you seem like you maybe disagree with that. No, no, not disagree. I just like I um I guess like the 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 way that I thought about it was it's like it it kind of struck me that that they were setting up Clive Owen as a pretty stark contrast to Jude Law's character. So yeah. Larry's character is a pretty stark contrast to because like um I mean these people are all being like pretty awful to each other in different ways. Um, but um. Uh, uh, Jude Law's character Dan is like pretty. I mean, it's like it's uh, like everybody's pretty polite about it. Um, I mean, they have like you know uh, emotional conversations, but the, although even then, I guess like um, and it, it may, maybe it makes sense because Dan, portrayed by a Brit, is a British character, and so it's like sort of polite and restrained, and he doesn't ever really fly off the handle. Um, whereas, and I guess you're right, like Natalie Portman um, it, uh, it, it is a little more like open about her emotions, a little more. Um, uh, demonstrative or I don't know what the mm. right word is, but, um, and then, but, but Clive Owen also uh, a Brit, his character, uh, Larry is sort of like a, <clears throat> like, uh, just, it's like a vulgarian. Um, yeah, he's, he's like raw, yeah. but like not, I mean, like it's clear, like, I mean, he's a dermatologist. It's not that he's like a caveman or something. He just like sort of, that's the way he lives his life. Yeah. But like, and it's just like a couple of the reviews that I read, people said like, Oh, this is about everybody being, this is about four awful people. Yeah, being awful to each other, and I, th- and I, but something about, and I could be, I would I'd be delighted to be challenged about this, but like in all of my viewings of this movie, I came away rooting for for Clive Owen the most. Like he seemed the most honest. Uh, yeah, he. I know what you mean. I, I guess he, he's both the most despicable character, but well, hmm, he. I mean, it might be worth a little bit of plot recap here. I mean, like, Dan drives most of the infidelity. Like, here he's, like, the primary mover. Yeah. On a lot of the infidelity. And and Clive Owen, I don't think, ever initiates infidelity. He does some bad things, like, sort of, like, for retribution. Yeah. Uh, he's definitely the honest one. Right. Um, and there is virtue in that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of, I didn't really think about it like that, but he in a situation where so many people are like lying to themselves and to each other. Yeah. Um being the honest man, there is something about that that you root for. Yeah. Uh we're introduced to his character. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's uh, this drove me crazy. <laughs> And this is maybe this part maybe hasn't aged super well. Um, <laughs> Certainly, the UI on the uh, chat room hasn't. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh yeah, yeah. There, um, Jude Law's character is a writer, yep. and uh, is 
pretending to be a woman in a sex chat room. Yeah. What? What? Do you remember the name of it? No. It's oh, it's like London. It's I mean something super on the nose. It's like London Sex Anonymous or something. Yeah, and it, it's it's the goofiest. It's like <laughs> aim with like porn in the bottom corner. It's yeah. not discreet at all. Yeah. And Clive Owens at his office. He's a dermatologist. Um, I think he's in a hospital or something. Yeah, he's he's in a hospital, and the window behind him is open while he's on this site. That oh, is I know. Very clearly, yeah. uh, po- like you know, a sex site, and uh, he's like. You know, uh, he like locks the door and he's he's locking in and they're they're dirty talking back and forth with yeah. each other and uh, you know he finally closes the shades to jerk off, um, <laughs> but it it's such like a 2004 view of like online yeah. uh, uh, you know sex sex talk uh, <laughs> yeah um, in a in a way where like it took me a minute to realize like this scene is not just unintentionally funny it's it's intended to be oh, yeah. uh funny um I, I feel like i lost track of what we were talking about. <laughs> I, I i i was trying to be less digressive this episode. <laughs> and, uh, so much for that um yeah um no i don't know can i bust in my notes real quick just because there's yeah, a couple yeah. of things i wanted to make sure i, I got to so I, I noted this time having seen it a couple times that it starts with a wreck yeah, uh, which I thought was like I don't know, like that. If that wasn't a deliberate choice, it's a happy accident. Yeah, um, it's yeah. like uh, uh, Joe was saying, uh, Jude Law and, and Natalie Portman meet on the. They're like lock eyes on the street, and they're sort of like making flirty eyes at each other. And then Natalie Portman gets hit by a taxi cab. Yeah, um, so it starts with a wreck. Um, oh, it, uh, um, I it, I wrote this down before before uh, watching the rest of the movie, but um, uh, Jude Law is hanging out with her at the clinic, waiting for her to get like stitched up. Uh, she, she's like superficially, she just got like. Uh, scrapes and bruises mm. uh, but like they're waiting at the clinic uh, he goes to get like coffees I think um, and he comes back and he sees that she's rifling through his bag um, and uh, uh, it's, a, it's a small moment she like she's like uh, and then he comes he's back eating, like looking for his at his sandwiches yeah she looks at his sandwiches right yeah. and he comes back as she's still rifling through his and she doesn't appear to be trying to be duplicitous about it she's like he comes back she's still rifling through the bag and uh, um, and uh, she says I was looking for cigarettes um uh, and he says, I quit. And there's lots of fun, uh, the rest of the movie, with who has and hasn't quit smoking cigarettes <laughs> in the present moment. Uh, but, yeah, she looks at his sandwiches. Um, uh, and uh, and um, I, don't, I forget how it comes up, but, like, um, she says, uh, I don't eat fish. Uh, and, and, and so apparently they're tuna sandwiches. Uh, mm-hmm. She says, I don't eat fish. And, and he says, you don't eat fish? And she goes, no, fish, uh, fish uh, piss in the sea. Um, anyway, but like, I don't know, like the, the dialogue like caught me, but then like, and then I, I had like, didn't remember until it came up later that there's all this stuff about the aquarium. Right. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the title of the book that he writes about, uh, her is, uh, the aquarium, uh, you know, Larry and Anna meet at the aquarium because of, because of Jude Law's, uh, yeah. Sex chatting, sex chatting. He inadvertently sets, uh, Clive Owen and Julia Roberts up. Right. Um, yeah, which is which is a lot of fun. Um, uh, there, there, so there's the moment, and then they cut to this, or you know, they call back to this later in the movie. But I couldn't decide if it had any real like relevance or symbolism. But like when they're walking through the park, and there's all the names on the side of the wall, mm. um, she she says like these are all people who died saving others, mm. and it seems very sort of pointed. But like, well, he had just saved her life, kind of uh, with the at the accident. That's what I I took it as. Yeah. Oh, and okay. there's there's kind of that theme of like i don't know if if maybe i'm bleeding our two movies together but like her like jude law's character kind of saving 
or stabilizing Natalie Portman's character a little bit. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I love, uh, so then, um, they, they're sort of like hanging out for the day and then he's got to go to work at some point. He writes obituaries. I love like their little conversation about uh, the euphemisms that they use. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was a convivial man means he was a drinker. Um, uh, but then, so like he's he's gonna go to work. So she walks into his office, and he's like, "Well, goodbye." And they do like a handshake, and then he walks away. Uh, starts he starts walking towards the door, and like without ever really like pausing or changing his pace, he just like does a little loop and walks back to her. I just like really like that move. Um, uh, oh, Julia Roberts. Uh, t- uh, just to t- to tie uh, my movie to your movie, Julia Roberts is a photographer. A photographer, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> I just wrote down first time cargo pants have looked good was the cargo pants that she was wearing in the photo shoot. Yeah, <laughs> um, again something that ages the movie a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, Julie Roberts can bring them back. Yeah, and they were also like the only like tailored cargo pants I've ever seen. Um, there's that weird like this was like awkward for me. Like I always hate this move, uh, but like the weird power play uh, during the um, uh, the photography set where he's like finally sort of like announcing that he's like interested in her romantically and he says come here oh yeah and then yeah. they like meet in the middle uh i was like it was very pointed but it made my skin crawl yeah um oh and then she snaps the photo during like while they're kissing mm-hmm. i was like I, I i was like i can't tell if that's an accident or deliberate but i want to believe that that's deliberate mm-hmm. um uh <laughs> oh yeah there's like so many great lines in this movie like i said as a as a fan of snappy dialogue um uh, <laughs> he says in that scene you've ruined my life and she says you'll get over it uh, yeah uh, both oh, both of our movies, people fall in love very quickly. Yeah, love at first sight kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another like visual tie between your movie and my movie. A lot of like dramatic zooms, and especially mm-hmm. like in a Mike Nichols movie in two thousand four, like that felt like almost like it must have been a reference to something. Yeah. Well, yeah. At that point, zooms very uh, kind of. Um, it feels melodramatic. Yeah, zooms kind of fell out of favor. Yeah, uh, it's more of a seventies thing. Um, yeah. Uh, my notes on the uh, the sex chat scene. I had that Sony Vio. <laughs> I had that laptop. Uh, yeah. That made me uh, uh, that made me uh, nostalgic. Um, Jude Law just smoking cigarettes. And <laughs> oh, everywhere. pretending pretending to be a uh, a lady. Oh, yeah, um, apparently, like apparently, you, I know you could smoke cigarettes everywhere in 1980. I didn't know you could smoke cigarettes everywhere in London in 2004. Yeah, like yeah. in opera halls. <laughs> yeah. and you just At put a hospital. Them, yeah, you just put them out on the floor. Yeah, uh, bizarre. Um, I, my memory is that uh, when I saw that movie in 2004, the uh, the the elite speak, like the the like the internet language they use uh, to chat, was much harder to decipher. Mm. Uh, but now it just sort of seems commonplace. Yeah. Um, uh, I noted the uh, the 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 classical score, mostly like the Damien Rice song, and I think like at some point it seems like even the movie knows that that Damien Rice song is like it's using that song pointedly, like it knows yeah. it's cheesy. Yeah, um, I hope. <laughs> I think he was supposed to write a song for the movie, and it just um, wasn't completed in time. Uh, I hope that's the case because I hope if he wrote a song for that movie, it would be better than that whatever that Damien Rice song is. Yeah. Um, uh oh yeah um <laughs> I don't know there's like uh, like somebody these like like you said this is a part of this movie is just beautiful people being beautiful um the way that uh Clive Owen um 
uh, they, like you said, he's in his office chatting with uh, Jude Law, and um, the phone rings one time, and he answers it, and he, he like does some brief medical talk, and then hangs it up, and then the phone rings again a couple minutes later, and he like he picks it up and drops it back down just to hang up on whoever's calling, and then like uh, puts it off the hook so it yeah, won't ring anymore. He's trying to yank his chain. <laughs> yeah, which is like a very fit, uh, very uh, smooth uh, move. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and then when uh, when he ends up at the uh, aquarium with uh, with Anna. Uh, I uh, I think his or one of his earliest lines is fish you gotta respect them (laughs) which is both just like an absurd line yeah but also it seems like they're saying something about fish with all the aquarium talk and uh, uh, yeah um, Alice doesn't eat fish Um, (laughs) oh yeah and uh, uh, she says there's something about like um they're making an allusion to like uh, the princess and the frog or something like that, um, and 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 Anna says frog and he says toad, and they go back and forth with frog, toad, frog, toad, and he goes toad, frog, lobster, um, just like okay, so, uh, let me make this like this is the one thing that always stuck out to me, and I think I'm like a big Clive Owen fan, and I think that's one of the reasons I keep coming back to this movie and enjoy it so much. My take on this movie is Clive Owen does an action movie performance in this movie in a romance, like he's acting like a romantic character, but he does it with like action movie energy. Mm. He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando, but in a romance movie. Okay. Like, everything is just, like, so... Like, everything's at 11. Yeah. He... I mean, he got, I think, a supporting actor nomination at the Oscars. He won a Golden Globe. Um, He's... He goes through a lot in this movie. Yeah. Um, We get to see him as, you know, kind of a perv. We get to see his softer side. Um, He gets very vulnerable. Uh, He... He... uh, he gets enraged. Um, it's it's a rangy performance, and yeah. he he does a great job. He's he, to me, he's the highlight of the movie. Yeah, he's uh, got like all sure. the best lines. I mean, there's in a movie crammed with be- with best lines, he's got all of them. Yeah, the Toad Frog Lobster one. The uh, he's a stringy fucker. Oh, I could have him. <laughs> um, and then like that super intense scene. So. Um, Anna reveals to him that she's been having an affair with Dan and he just keeps like needling her, like asking her all these questions about like where they had sex and when they had sex and if the sex was good. And Did she's you like, come? Yeah, yeah. And he's just, I mean, he's just like, I mean, yeah, I mean, like he's being like both obscene and belligerent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and she keeps just trying to like, like push him off, push him off, push him off. And then finally she, she explodes. Like he gets what he wants and she's like, we had sex, we had, it was great, it was amazing. Um, and then, yeah, and then he just, he like turns, he like immediately turns. Like, he does like two like mm. incredible U-turns because uh, as soon as, right after she explodes, he says, um, he says, that's the spirit, thank you, thank you for that. Now yeah. fuck off and die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He wants honesty. Yeah, and that's, yeah. Uh, and, you know, as you said before, if he, to the extent that he is a virtuous character, it's because he, he values honesty above all else. Yeah. Uh, sometimes to a fault, like him uh, twisting the knife in Jude Law's back uh, right. at the end. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's the one knock against his character where you can say, like, he was duplicitous mm-hmm. and, like, he was out to cause harm and, like, that was his motive. Right. Um, but, uh,. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, for some reason, I wrote down that Anna drinks vodka because she drinks several times, and it's always vodka. Mm. Uh, something I don't know. Like I was, I was trying to figure out if that was symbolic of something other than like she's sort of plain. Because that's well, the that, one thing. That, like Julie Roberts is a great actress, but this character, yeah, she's not kind much of uh, she's she's probably the least interesting character in the movie. Um, yeah, you, the most kind of you get out of her is that she's. She feels bad that she's having an affair. Like, that's... Yeah, I mean, it does seem like Jude Law and Julia Roberts' characters are supposed to be, like, the polite ones, the, like, sophisticated ones, the, like, um... 
you know, like keeping up appearances ones. Right. But like they're really the assholes. Yeah, they and, like, they cause the most harm. Um, and Natalie Portman and Clive Owen are like rough around the edges and like a little unseemly, but like they're honest. Yeah. It it it, it does occur to me that you know, I would have never thought of uh, Clive Owen as the hero of the movie. Um, yeah. But that that slap at the end, Jude Law right. sl- slaps Natalie Portman. And it's the way they do it is kind of goofy. That's like, yeah. it goes into slow motion and then the airplane flies overhead. And um, yes. But it is kind of this moment where you're like, oh, Jude Law is the scumbag. You know? Right. And in the scene where um, uh, Clive Owen is needling, um, the, you know, the scene we were just talking about where he finally pushes her to, to, to blow up at him, like they pointed, like he pointed, like somehow they get to, like I think she says, you want to hit me. And he, and he's, he, like, he says, like, I would never do that. Yeah. And, and, and at least, like, I believe him. Yeah. And yeah. I, mean, it's, I mean, obviously, I mean, this is where it's like, this is very play like. It's like so sort of like on the nose of like, mm. well, this guy would never hit a woman and this guy did even, hit a woman. Even their house is very, it's oh, like yeah. an abstract place set yeah. a little bit. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah I, yeah, I threw it out there before. There's something about the settings in this movie. Like, first of all, what, and like, this is something I didn't pick up until I read a couple of the other, um, like, analyses of this movie. Um, uh, w- one of the things that a critic said was, like, all these people are performing relationships. Like, they love seduction and they love, like, the idea of relationships, but none of them love relationships. Hmm. Um, and something about performative. And then I noticed that, like, um, uh, well, first of all, like, <laughs> the, the, the chat scene between. Um, uh, Jude Law posing as uh, uh, Julia Roberts and Clive Owen is obviously like a performance, mm-hmm. uh, and then but it's like and like you know maybe the movie is saying like all of their relationships are as performative as this one, um, but then also like like we said like uh, there are a number of scenes that take place in performance spaces, right? Um, the the maybe I think the the central scene of the movie where uh, Clive Owen goes to the strip club where Natalie Portman works after her split with Jude. Funny, Law. I didn't even think of that one. The most obvious one. <laughs> uh, and, and to me, like I I think that them getting awards nominations, it's for this scene, uh, which in you know it's Clive Owen bearing his kind of anguish mm-hmm. his like wounded masculinity his wanting to basically do a revenge fuck yep um and Natalie Portman's character seeming like she's not giving him the honesty he craves although we later find out <laughs> that you know he keeps asking her for her real name yep. and she keeps using what he thinks is her stripper name and we later find out that this is her real name yep um, they leave it ambiguous as to whether or not they have sex until the end when Clive Owen tells Jude Law. Spoiler! Yeah. Even <laughs> uh, then, it's not necessarily clear. You, like, there's, the, there's the chance that maybe he's just trying to fuck with Jude Law. Yeah. But then Jude Law interrogates Natalie Portman, and, and she at first says no, and then says yes. Yeah. And uh, him uh, pushing her to say this, it, it leads her... She says something like, I would have loved you forever to mm-hmm. Jude Law. Yep. And I believe her on that. Right. Um, and then he walks away, comes back to kind of forgive her, and in that brief interval, she she's like, "I don't love you anymore." Right? Um, because because that uh, I don't know the trust has been broken, or right. the the she sees kind of what he what a is. flawed character he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that strip club scene. Uh, I remember that kind of being the the key scene, like the, you know, at the Oscars when they're showing Clive Owens. Like that's that's probably the scene that they showed. Yeah, um, maybe him yelling at Julia Roberts. But uh, there's something about that scene that to me is it's it wants to be frank and adult, but mm-hmm. it pulls back uh, a little bit. Where yeah, that, 
there's there's a shot where Natalie Portman shows Clive Owen her C word. <laughs> he, he says that. He yeah. calls it that. Um, uh, and it's just framed so his head is in the way. Yeah, and I'm not saying that... They should have showed it. But. They should have showed it, but there is something to me about this movie um, and why I can't like fully get behind it where it's it seems like more of a the 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 surface of something adult and taboo but for kind of a mainstream audience or a a, a bourgeois audience or something where it it pulls back just a little like there's kind of the titillation of seeing Julia Roberts say talk about coming right um but it's it almost has this attitude like, isn't it naughty what we what we're doing? Right. And it's kind of like nothing that happens in the movie is that shocking uh, right. or raw. And it does get to some interesting stuff. Uh, I think with Clive Owen's character and with Natalie Portman's character of of kind of uh, especially Clive Owen, where where after the breakup he's just a wreck. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know that it's. I don't know that it's as raw as it thinks it is. Yeah, I totally buy that, and I and I think it, like it sort of plays into the thing of like, um, yeah, it's a play. Like I, I don't know anything about the writer, um, but I'm sort of picturing like I, I assume it's a British writer. Yeah, but yeah, like a guy who's like exactly like you said, like look how naughty I'm being. Like, yeah. isn't this risque? Well, I it, I've looked up the play on Wikipedia. Almost everything I'm saying here, folks, is on Wikipedia. <laughs> the Internet Science. Um, but it, the play is a comedy. Okay. Um, and the movie is uh, funny and uh, certainly funny moments. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's played much um, like if it was played a little more comedically, I think it may be better in some ways. Mm-hmm. Where where uh, instead it feels like you know it's going for the truth. Yeah. Um, so it feels like there's kind of like this uh, seriousness to it that maybe isn't totally earned. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like an if. Starbucks distributed movies. <laughs> this would be their adult relationship drama. Oh, kind of like uh, if Steely Dan made a pop song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. All right. The only we've been talking about it closer a lot, which is fine by me. But I do want to make sure we have some time to talk about your movie because it was yeah. fascinating. The only other one, the only other great line. This is the one that like I quoted for like years to anybody who had seen this movie, which was three other people. But um, uh, uh, when uh, when uh, Jude Law goes to confront uh, Clive Owen at his dermatologist's office after Clive Owen and Julia Roberts have reunited mm. um, <laughs> and Jude Law's like I guess like yeah begging Clive Owen to like let Anna go so that, that Jude Law can get back together with her um, and then he finally like he gets frustrated and he goes you never would have met her if it wasn't for me and Clive Owen just goes yeah thanks <laughs> yeah <laughs> so good yeah anyway closer 2004 yeah it's 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 all right. <laughs> it's a movie. Uh, yeah. I I love it. Uh, Jew, uh, uh, Joe's a little uh, a little more uh, uh, reserved about uh, uh, recommending it, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like not um, mad. I watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a Mike Nichols movie. You know, yeah. If you like The Graduate, you'll you'll probably like this. Um, it's very well shot. It's very well acted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's clever and cute. Yeah. If that's the kind of thing that infuriates you, skip it. If it's the kind of thing that you get cute, off on, I don't know about cute, but it's, it's well, no, but I mean, like the way that you were saying, like yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a cute approach to dirty yeah, material. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Can we pause real fast so I can take a leak before we Ooh. dive in? Sure. 
I've just used the restroom. We can cut this part. <laughs> um, or not. Now now we're going to talk about the 1975 uh, uh, love triangle melodrama, That Most Important Thing, Love, uh, by André Zulovsky. Yeah. You want to give it the French title? Uh, uh, L'important, c'est d'aimer. There we go. Um, for our French listeners. That's like a C-plus French presentation. I feel, I feel okay about that. It sounded good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, okay, so the, the, the three corners of this love triangle, we have uh, Italian stuntman Fabio Testi. <laughs> yes, like the singular of testicle. Uh, playing Serve Mont. Uh, he's a photographer who um, it's hinted at has done photography in Algeria and Vietnam, uh, right. presumably during the uh, conflicts there. Um, uh, and now he is um, he's uh, basically a pornographer or, or works for pornographers um, mm-hmm. uh, shooting uh, porno films and um, orgies for for uh, grotesque rich clientele mm-hmm. um then there's nadine played by romy schneider uh who for this role won the the first uh french equivalent of the oscars there for for best actress mm. uh and well well deserved yeah. i think it's an amazing performance mm-hmm. um she plays this um fading actress uh she's only 30 <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. But she's she's just got like this you know radiant weariness. Um, like I've never seen somebody be weary and radiant at the same time. But um, she is now kind of stuck doing these like softcore Euro cult sex and death movies. Uh, <laughs> and and her husband uh, Jacques, played by French pop star Jacques Dutronc, um, who's like this sad cinephile clown, yeah. uh, depressive type. And when the movie opens, it's one of my favorite opening scenes of any movie. Mm. Uh, just like you have no idea what you're getting into. Yeah, um, she's on set for this movie uh, where she's straddling a guy on the floor. There's blood splattered on the wall behind her, and uh, the camera like zooms out, and you see that there are cameras in the scene. This is a film shoot, yep. and she's supposed to say "I love you." To this body on the ground. Yeah, while humping a dying man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, the photographer comes in, uh, survey, and he's he's taking like these clandestine pictures to sell to movie magazines. Mm-hmm. And he's, of course, struck by this uh, woman. And uh, from there, uh, an affair begins. He There's a kung fu fight in the scene <laughs> uh, where the, they try to run him off the set and... He basically gets into a, a scrap and yeah. uh, escapes uh, with the uh, film in his mouth. Yeah. Um, he he wants to connect to this woman desperately. Like goes to her house the next day, realizes she's married, and kind of tries to seduce her in plain sight of the husband. But he's like helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know her husband's like this goofy guy, just but also like. Uh, self-loathing and and kind of depressed he gets up out of bed and he's wearing shoes and he just goes hop 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 hop, hop. and uh and just like starts preparing breakfast and but he he knows what's going on he's like incredibly aware of the situation and uh survey's idea for how to get with this woman is by kind of staging a career comeback for her Mm -hmm. uh by helping finance through his his uh servitude to these 
disgusting gangster pornographers. Um, he's going to finance an experimental stage production <laughs> of Shakespeare's Richard the yeah. Third, um, where it's like post-apocalyptic samurai. <laughs> yeah, uh, where Richard the Third is being played by cult movie favorite uh, from Aguirre, the Wrath of God, uh, Klaus Kinski, um, one of the great faces. Yeah, right <laughs> up there with William Defoe. Like probably surpassing William Defoe in yeah. like beautiful ugly. Yeah, he he's an interesting character. Uh, Look up Klaus Kinski if you if you don't know mm-hmm. him. He's he's one of the like wildest screen presidents presences of all time. Yeah, um, and this plan uh, goes disastrously. <laughs> um, the why the why I picked this uh, aside from it being a love triangle thing is there's this element to it where it's like everybody is kind of exploiting everybody else a little bit. Mm-hmm. Every character in this movie is connected to several characters in like this bond of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason Survey works for these pornographers initially is because his father is an alcoholic <laughs> and a degenerate gambler, and he has to like pay off his dad's debts. Yeah, um, the guy who gives him the idea to yeah. uh, finance this play is uh, a late stage alcoholic who's wife survey has stolen and is now his only friend yeah um uh the relationship between the husband and wife nadine and Jacques, is built on you know she kind of has like this damaged past and he helped her get kind of um basically domesticated her and she he feels like she owes him for that and only loves him out of pity mm-hmm. and uh it just it's it's kind of I've seen this movie now four times, and every time I watch it, I realize how everything in it is rigged against everybody in it. Yeah, um, and just how these relationships are just set for destruct. Yeah, um, it's the style of it. Well, I'll, what what what's your take on this? Guy? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like quite honestly, like. Um, uh, uh, I was like, yeah, like I, by the end of this, I was like, I'm not sure what I just watched. Yeah. Um, were you able to chart the relationships with everybody? I feel like those were confusing to me the first several times I saw it, or the um, first couple times at least. I, I, I was tracking everything that you said, right? Like, I, I mean, and it was funny. Like that, I think that was like maybe like my second or third thought was I was like, wait a minute, who was that guy? Like, wait, that guy was Survey's dad? Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, uh, um, I was like, I was like capturing that data in the moment, but I wasn't like processing it. And then after the movie, but it, there was enough retention that I was able to process it. And then I was like, yeah, you're just like thinking back and like, Jesus Christ, that guy was his dad. And like that other guy was the husband of the, his original girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was, um, it is, I mean, I think it's like, um, intentionally bizarre. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but it was it was um, it was definitely like I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Mm. Um, it was very engaging. Like the it's I think like every performance was melodramatic, and again like oh, yeah. seemingly intentionally so. Um, so it was the kind of thing. Yeah, it was like um, I wasn't sure what to make of it, having just seen it, and then I you know this is like my. Uh, you know, I just immediately dove into like any review of it I could find, which there are not a ton. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's, it sort of made a, a, more sense. I mean, it is. I, this is like me having like a, a tiny bit of exposure to sort of like art house cinema. But it, it strikes me as like very art house in that like uh, a lot of things are symbolic. 
uh, a lot of things, you know, it's like, it, 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 there's a lot more about like the idea of something than like a straightforward narrative or something mm. like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was like very engaging. Yeah. Like, like you and closer, like definitely glad I watched it. Yeah. Uh, Z- if people know Zulowski for anything, it's, he, he made a movie, uh, six years after this called possession mm-hmm. that, uh, kind of has become more popular in recent years, uh, with, with cinephiles where it's, uh, it's a divorce melodrama that's like if you think this is kind of keyed up, right? This cranked to like fifteen. Uh, just it, the intensity of these performances is almost com- comedic. Um, but it's a, a divorce drama set in Berlin uh, that uh, includes like a monster. Like the woman <laughs> is having an affair with a monster. It yeah. would have it would have been an interesting choice for this, <laughs> but I don't have it. Uh, easily accessible um yeah it was like the like the first thing that i in like the one common thread in all the reviews that i read was everybody was like oh yeah this is zulowski's like restrained normal movie and you're like wow if this is the restrained normal one (laughs) yeah there's and i think the the feeling of melodrama comes from this score by uh george de la rue Mm. there's this uh it's it's very urgent and uh plangent and like uh, it'll just it'll be this beautiful string music as like the camera just zooms in on these like the open vulnerable faces of the actors mm-hmm. uh, and then there's like there's a recurring motif because I, I like even noted this down like the fourth or fifth time it came in but there's a recurring motif of like a, a dissonant xylophone chord yeah or uh, you know some sort of like xylophone or, or that or weird um, and then yeah it's like gong? somebody it's somebody hits or... it I, I this is what I think it is I think it's somebody is like striking a timpani and then t- tuning it yes it's yeah. like boom it almost sounds like goofy a little yeah, bit yeah right um, which the movie has an element of goofiness to yeah. it like it it kind of sounds humorless from what we're saying but like oh no there's some yeah Klaus Kinski just oh, like gosh. as this like. I don't even know how to fucking describe him in it. He's he's like he's like talking a mile a minute. He calls himself a well-bred homosexual, but at at one point he kicks this gangster's ass and then walks away with both of his women. And then then the next time you see him, he's like getting out of bed with them, like yeah, sprawled out. Yeah, Um, (laughs) my note was yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, you said that. I have a note here. Like so, I literally like I have like a notes app open while I'm watching the movie. (laughs) My note for this is Carl is a ninja and a well-bred homosexual. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and there's like fight scenes and, um, there's, yeah. Oh yeah. I had to say like, you were talking about that first fight scene of the movie. My note there was like, and I was like, I don't know. I I think I like cracked a beer while I was watching this, but again, this is like the first five minutes of the movie. And my note was high kick and hella slaps. Yeah. There's just like (laughs) these wide reeling slaps and like, yeah. Um, oh, and that scene where, um, Nadine slaps survey, she was really like slapping the shit out of him apparently. Um, there's, uh, it's high high stakes emotion. Um, what I think of as kind of, um, this is, I've only seen this in possession of Zulowski's movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that scene at the beginning that I referenced where Survey, uh, after he fights his way out of the film set, he spits out the film canister like bloody into yeah. his hand. That's how the movie feels like it came from the filmmaker. It's yeah. like everything he makes is just like, this is what he's feeling, and he's feeling it hard. Yeah, um, he's an intellectual, but the movies have like a real. Uh, there's there's no holding back on the emotions, just like right. heavy hitting. Um, yeah, I I this has become one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's to me, it's got everything in it. 
Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it was super fun. Um, yeah, like you said, um, uh, Jacques Dutronc's character was bizarre. Like, uh, it's, for some reason, I was just like noting down what everybody, like all the like modern day actors that I thought these people looked like. Um, so I noted that he looks like Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Although, like, yeah. it struck that. it struck me when you were doing the synopsis that like if they were if they remade this movie, he would be that character would be played. I think ably, maybe not as well as Jacques Dutronc, but played ably by Jason Schwartzman. Like, yeah. it feels like a Jason yeah. Schwartzman. Character. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Romy is Romy. Yeah, the actress that plays uh, Nadine. She looks like Elizabeth Moss to me. Um, okay. Uh, I wrote down Jeremy Irons, but I forget who looks like Jeremy Irons. Um, <laughs> oh, Gerard, his dad, right? Yeah. Um, uh, looks like uh, a cross between Charles Bronson and Benicio del Toro. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, yeah, and uh, Carl Heinz Zimmer, uh, played by uh, Klaus Kinski, uh, cross between Alton Brown and Willem Dafoe. <laughs> That's good. Uh, yeah, I wrote down, I was just like, at some point I was like, I realized like I was on a trip, you know, and I was like, all right, man, letting go, letting God, like, let's see where this goes. So my note for like uh, uh, the the plot development of him deciding to finance Richard III was I just wrote, homie fun to play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah, the dad cheated Minnelli. Yeah, I was just like, again, like, this movie is genius. I'm not even sure how much of it is intentional, but it's genius in what it left, leaves unsaid. Yeah, like, what's the deal with Dad and the pornographer such that the son is in, like, indentured servitude? And, right, like, yeah. What's the deal with the dude whose wife he's sleeping with but now wants to help him get another woman? Yeah. Although, I guess maybe you could do the math on that one. Um, uh, I noted, uh, uh, oh, yeah, there's that scene, the very pointed scene, which and th- maybe this is even too on the nose for it to be intentional, but... Um, uh, you did, uh, survey in order to finance the play. Like he's like at the beginning of the movie, he's he you know he has taken these photos of the of the movie set and he's given them to Manelli, is the big bad, right? He's given them to Manelli and he's like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm done. And, and he actually gives it to like Manelli's like little toady. Yeah, uh, and you know the all toady. the guards, all the gangsters in this movie are like fucking cartoons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially in that fight scene, it's like you can't take anything seriously. But it yeah. is super fun. Yeah, like they're literally wearing like bad fitting suits and ridiculous fedoras. Yeah, um, yeah. It gives it to the um, to the toady, and the toady's like Manelli's not going to be happy about this. Um, but imagine that happening in French, and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and he's like, I don't care, I'm done. Uh, but then he, he needs to, he wants finance his play, so he goes to hit a Manelli for money, and Manelli's like, Of course, as long as you take more nudie pictures for me. And so like the the evidence of like what the deal with Manelli is is like Manelli, who's like a creepy old dude, reminds me of um, who was the the producer in uh, The Godfather uh, that they you know they go confront in, in California. <sighs> yeah, I can't remember his name. Anyway, that guy. Yeah. Um, um, uh, looks like her, looks like him, but like older and more decrepit. And he's got like an equally old and decrepit wife. And yeah. they ha- are like, I don't know if they've arranged this party or whatever, but they've like, there's an orgy happening. Yeah. And they've brought in survey to photograph this orgy. Supposedly there's again, like great job of like not saying anything that doesn't need to be said, like unnecessary details. But like, uh, apparently there's like important people there and they're going to take pictures for, um, uh, it's uh, probably like a Jeffrey Epstein, uh, yeah. sex Island. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they're going to extort people for money. Um, but they, so like, there's this orgy happening in a hotel, and there's a one-way mirror which mm-hmm. they are behind. Uh, and you know, Survey is like very reluctantly taking these pictures, and like the Manelli is like, "Oh, get that! Oh, it's so disgusting! Uh, oh my God, look what he's happening! Make sure you get that! Get a close up! Oh my God, just so disgusting! Like what a whore!" And I was like, um, 
I know it's just like, is this like somebody, is this like, uh, you know, saying like, this is what the audience is, you know, like the, the audience is like looking at this movie and like, oh my God, this is all so disgusting. Why would anybody watch this as you sit there and munch your popcorn? Yeah. It's, it's, it's got a very self-reflect, I mean, from that opening shot on, very yeah. self-reflexive. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the movie that she had done before that, uh, Nymphocula. Now I really want to see Nymphocula. And, and I love that her husband is like, no, it was a great movie. Because <laughs> that's such like a cinephile thing. Um, yeah. And was it Klaus Kinski that had seen it? And yeah. And he loved was, it too. Yeah, so yeah. He, was, he was like, oh yeah, like her and three dwarves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, I, I would need to go back and watch it and just write down everybody's synopsis of, of uh, Nymphocula. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's something interesting to me about the fact that, um, survey is a photographer right. and her husband collects this photographs of yeah. of these uh actresses throughout hollywood history that yep. i think basically because her career isn't going well um he's selling these f- photographs so that they can survive right but these are like his prized possessions mm-hmm. there's that great scene where there he invites survey over to dinner yeah and his cinephile nerd friends who are also portrayed very cartoonishly are just like walking in circles like around the <laughs> table like leafing through pictures like oh this one's worth so much you yeah, know yeah. um yeah just like imagine like the scene with the nerds in high fidelity crossed with like three stooges yeah 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 um yeah what a yeah what a movie yeah. And and it's it's uh, circular like uh, yeah. my pick last week. Um, it kind of ends where it began. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm like the biggest dummy about this. Like I always say, like everybody talks about how like the first time they saw the Sixth Sense, like everybody loves to say, "Oh yeah, I saw it coming, saw it mm-hmm. coming, saw it coming." And I'm like, I'm always like, never saw it coming. Like my brain like checks out in terms of like solving problems when I saw a movie, but like that one, I was like, oh my god, they're gonna do it. <laughs> they're gonna end yeah. it the way they started it. Yeah, um, yeah, that was great. Um, and, and but. To me, what makes the movie beautiful is that, you know, in the beginning, she's unable to say I love you in right. this in this uh, scene of acting. Mm-hmm. And by the end, after they've gone through all of this hell. Yeah. Uh, and the the thing about this is, like, everybody is selfless, kind of. Yeah. And, like, recklessly so. Um, yeah. Where they're trying to sacrifice for everybody around them. Yeah. And, and there's something totally irrational about the relationships. And by the end, like... She's able to say I love you genuinely, but like at what cost? Yeah, yeah you know yeah. what has happened uh, to get us there. Yeah, uh, yeah. A couple of things I picked up from the reviews that I thought were interesting. Like you said, like you've got uh, the consumer of uh, uh, images and the creator of images, and so it's like um, suggesting that like every like nobody thinks of her as a person; they think of yeah. her as like an object. She's a, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, man, what was the other one? Uh, oh, the uh, of course, like I can't believe I didn't pick up on this, but they're they're rehearsing for um, Richard the Third. Uh, and both Survey is visiting the set, and um, uh, Jacques is visiting the set. And um, she's damn. <laughs> she's supposed to deliver this big speech. She's Lady Anne. She's supposed to deliver this this big speech, like at the coffin side of one of I forget the plot of Richard the Third, but probably her children or something. I forget anyway. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. She's by the coffin of a loved one who's dead because of Richard the Third, and she's like yelling at Richard the Third. It's a great Shakespeare speech. Shout out to Shakespeare. Um, uh, but uh, uh, like in the movie, like her as the actress she's the director is unhappy with her performance so they tell uh jacques to get in the coffin so that she'll have more motive like she'll be able to like easier like more easily conjure that emotion so like you know presaging his literal death yeah (laughs) 
a spoiler for a movie that nobody has seen. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Which is fine. It yeah. does. This does not matter. Uh, yeah, the movie is great and will surprise you uh, no matter what. Yep. Uh, I'm just like scrolling through my notes. Like halfway through my notes, I had written just again. I love. My, uh, I, sometimes I amuse myself with like just <laughs> my little snippets. But uh, halfway through my notes, I have Diane Keaton vibes, uh, which I think was in reference to to Romy. And then uh, almost at the end of my notes, hella Diane Keaton. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah and then for her slaps i wrote bird slaps <laughs> as opposed to hella slaps from survey yeah um <laughs> yeah yeah i think i was feeling that beer by the end of this <laughs> i wrote down oh no so i did do the jason schwartzman math earlier because like by the end um i wrote down uh i think this was oh yeah this is because this is this was um this is not uh jacques Dutronc. this is like one of the uh the the mafia lackeys i wrote down hysterical fedora monkey jason schwartzman uh, is one of the guys that beats the crap out of survey at the end. And then I wrote, um, as I think he was just like lying there bleeding and I wrote big bell bottom mood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the styles. Oh yeah. And then my, la- my literally my last two notes, the end is the beginning question mark. Next bullet. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Dead on. Uh, yeah. So that most important thing, love the, that most important thing. And I, you know, the Beatles said it. All you need is love. Yeah. I don't know about it, but I'll, I think it's the number one thing going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, super fun movie. I would, I would. It's. I mean, it, it is art house. It's hilarious. Like my wife was um, uh, sitting on the couch, like you giving this half an eye. She was like doing. She was like listing furniture on Craigslist at the same time. So yeah. I just like looked over at the end of the movie, and she was just like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Well, if you feel any better, I've only got like two more levels of an idea of what the hell is going on." Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's a labyrinth. Yeah, it was um, fun. Yeah. Uh, do we want to do a, a lightning what's good? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, man. But yeah, but you go first because uh, I remember I had a couple of things teed up, but I. Um, but now I'm, I'm going to collect my thoughts while uh, you tell me, Joe McElhaney, this week, what's good? Yeah, this is, this is our segment where we talk about things outside of Steely Dan and the topics at hand that we've been enjoying. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's... Uh, this album from the late 90s by this band Six Finger Satellite called Law of Ruins. Okay. Uh, kind of sci-fi, punk, paranoid. Um, it checks off a lot of my personal boxes in that it's got heavy Krautrock vibes. Uh, it sounds a lot like the band Chrome from the 70s. Kind of a, uh, acid damage sci-fi punk band. And, and also has some of that like Steve Albini like scrape, scrape and screech to it, you know. Right on. Uh, and it's produced by uh, James Murphy from LCD Sound System before oh, cool. that whole thing. Um, it's an indulgent album. <laughs> it's it's like over an hour long. There are songs that go eleven minutes, uh, but uh, it was a double LP. This is Law of Ruins, you said. Yeah, Law yeah. of Ruins. Cool. Uh, it's been been spinning it a lot. I've also been rewatching Deadwood in preparation for the upcoming Deadwood movie. I need to do that. I've never made it all the way through, which oh, is criminal. Wow. It's yeah. like no, yeah. it's no testament to it's, it's, it's no statement on the quality of Deadwood. That should be my favorite show, and I don't know why I haven't seen it all the way through. It was huge for me and my friends in college. There was a period where we were drinking a lot of whiskey and talking like characters in the show. Yeah. Um, uh, it's literally like it's, it looks like a movie that was designed to get me hooked. Like I love Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, I love Stilted dialogue yeah i love well, uh well still <laughs> i mean not you know what i mean um heightened yeah um, uh, it's incredible yeah incredibly vulgar heightened dialogue yeah. um 
yeah, it, it, and going back to it, it's it's just as rich as I remember. One um, of the greatest pilots ever. I've, other people oh, have yeah. said that. Oh, it's, yeah, fantastic pilot. Um, and just like the sense of like what it means to be a part of a community right. and like how communities are forged. And yep. uh, I, I don't know. I find it a really moving uh, show. And uh, Yeah, like uh, right up there with, with The Wire in terms of like relevance to like the meaning of life and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's it's, uh, it's sustained me through a tough time when I first watched it and uh, I'm yeah. loving it again. Uh, Makes sense. So Scott, what's... What's good in your neighborhood? Yeah, um, I did think like there's nothing like that like I discovered recently, but a couple of things I did want to shout out. One of them I did, I think I did shout out on um, uh, Mastoe's podcast. But in case uh, uh, <laughs> hard to believe anybody uh, uh, who listens to this podcast isn't aware of Mastoe's podcast, but either way, um, uh, there's a band that I that uh, I don't think a lot of people know about called The Long Winters. Do you know them? Uh, the name rings a bell. Uh, yeah, they're, they're like a, a, a mid-aughts um, Seattle band, um, but like power pop, not like grunge. Um, uh, the guy, the I mean, it's really one guy is like the singer-songwriter and then, you know, a band around him. And he was in um, Harvey Danger. He played bass for Harvey Danger for a while. Um, he's been around. Um, uh, but, and, and now he does a lot of uh, podcasts. His name's uh, John Roderick, um, which I also recommend his podcasts. Um, uh, but I really like those records, and I don't think a ton of people have heard those records. So if you haven't listened to Long uh, Winters, especially if, like me, like um, he's another one of these guys where like his a, a lot of his songs are, are great short stories, like just like brief little sketches and details that suggest a, a, an incredible world. Um, yeah, so the Long Winters, um, something to watch or read. Um, we don't read on this podcast. <laughs> I've been reading comic books. Shout yeah. out to comic books. Uh, I, uh, I stumbled into a comic book shop uh, uh, recently. And, um, oh, you know, I'll say this. Like, if you're one of the apparently five people that didn't see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, like... I'm one of those five. So, I mean, it's, it, it is a, it's a superhero comic book movie, but, um, you know, it was, it was really... I didn't see it until it was released to iTunes or whatever. But so for four months, it was incredibly hyped, including winning several Oscars. And I was like, well, I guess I'll check it out. Um, and I, it like did not disappoint in any way. I was like, holy crap. I mean, again, like it's a big budget Hollywood superhero cartoon, but like for that, it was the best one I've ever seen. That's, that's what I've, that seems to be like the consensus. And yeah. I, you know, my, my resistance to superheroes is strong, <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, know. I wouldn't tell you to put down Deadwood to pick up in, uh, into the spider verse, but if you're stumbling, you know, if you're, if you're looking around for something to watch and, and into the spider verse is there, I can uh, heartily recommend it. it. The cartoon element does appeal to me more than, uh, than watching a live action one. Yeah. And the animation, I'm sure you've heard this too. Like the animation is super interesting. They did a lot of like very interesting, um, stuff with the, with the, it's the visually striking. Yeah. Cool. Dakota, do you have, what's good? What's good with you? You've been watching, reading, doing, listening to anything cool? I've been watching Sorted Food on YouTube. Sorted? Sorted Food. It's a group of guys, and they cook some stuff. Okay. Right on. Oh, I know. The British guys. Yeah, that's like, like, like it's sorted, mate. Okay. Like, like we've got it sorted. Ah, so it's are, good. Are you a cooker? Do you cook? <laughs> I'm an are you a cooker? cooker. Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. the idea of like grabbing a bunch of stuff and then like making it happen. Yeah. Okay. What's your What's your signature dish? Uh, cheeseburgers. Okay. Right uh, <laughs> love a good cheeseburger. 
Um, should we share our picks for next week? Yeah. Okay. What, what do we got? Do, you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna like. I'm going to uh, bolster my reputation as Johnny on the nose. Okay. I'm, I'm like Lord on the <laughs> nose. Uh, so next week, uh, track three of Can't Buy a Thrill, Kings. Yeah. Uh, I like. At first, I was like. Well, you could do this, but of course that would be ridiculous. And I was like talking to friends about it, and they were like, "Nah, man, do it." And like the more I thought about it, I was like, "Oh yeah, okay." Um, so you're either going to be well, uh, there's a there's a good chance you could be delighted uh, or angry, uh, but uh, my choice emotions I don't often feel. <laughs> uh, my choice uh, for your media tie-in to uh, Kings uh, off of Camp I Thrill is from 1991. Okay. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Okay. <laughs> All right. Is that the Costner one? Yeah. Okay. And as I say, before you get upset with me, I know you're thinking Kevin Costner, but let me remind you who else uh, you will get to revisit. You will get to see Morgan Freeman. Okay. Uh, Mary Elizabeth uh, Master Antonio. Okay. Uh, Christian Slater, which you were probably also thinking, but uh, don't sleep on, uh, this movie has Alan Rickman in it. Okay. Uh, I've and- never seen it. Oh wow! Okay, great, okay, yeah. great, great, great. Um, and it has uh, uh, possibly my favorite sh- favorite British actor uh, ever, Brian Blessed. Do you know Brian Blessed? Uh, I'm not sure. He's like a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company, but he was in um, Flash Gordon, like Never the 19, it. the super 1980s. Like yeah. anyway, but With Brian qu- music by uh, Queen. Or? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. That one. Um, uh, anyway, um, yeah. Like the more I thought about it, I was like, I would certainly be very excited to go back and revisit the Kevin Costner. Um, uh, Robin Hood and like it's got a great cast. I think it, it's it's a ridiculous movie. Is it Ridley Scott? Um, uh, who who directs it? Uh, or no. Tony Scott? Or? No, Kevin Reynolds. I think Ridley okay. Scott did the the um the newest one with Russell Crowe. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Kevin Reynolds was kind of Costner's. Oh, uh, 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 like almost like Costner's nom de plume. He's well, a real he's a real guy. But. He's a, I think he was just like kind of Costner's uh, house director for a little while. Okay, I, I'm not sure about that. Don't yeah. quote me. Um, uh, yeah, but I've certainly never st- studied uh, uh, Robin Hood, uh, Prince of Thieves, and I- I'm excited to. Well, what, do you know if it's available for streaming or not? Uh, I don't think it for, is. For yeah, we'll have to set up and for me. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to set up a um, we'll we'll set up like a, a petty cash fund for this podcast. Uh, I think it's going to be another uh, four buck rental. But okay, um, well that's that's no big deal. But uh, but yeah, we can we can figure it out. Cool. Okay, my I guess my. Th- my uh yeah you got you're holding it down for like the uh the, 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 to the extent that we're going to have any cinephile cred it's going to be due to you <laughs> mine is my i if you're johnny on the nose i'm i'm johnny wants to rewatch something and has, <laughs> is going to tie it to uh to whatever song we're listening to yeah um although i i think this works uh it's another movie about royalty okay so it uh, works <laughs> sort of um <laughs> And that's uh, the Christopher Walken in the 1990 uh, Abel Ferrara gangster movie, King of New York. Um, Ooh, I haven't seen that. Uh, it's. I thought you were going to say Suicide Kings until you said 1990. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw that long, long ago. I, I don't know if I'll be revisiting Suicide Kings. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's It's got some kind of Robin Wood vibes to it. Um, or Robin Robin Hood. <laughs> not, the, not the gay critic Robin Wood. Yeah. Um, Robin Hood vibes. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I I watched it uh, a couple nights ago, and uh, I I fucking love it. So I hope I hope it's a gift to you and not a burden. Any any walking movie is a gift. There's oh, no bad walking. I forgot how fucking good he can be, and in this, it it the movie rides on how good he is. It's also got Lawrence Fishburne. 
uh, in an incredible performance. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Oh my God! Gus Gus Fring from uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. For, for Breaking Bad fans, and uh, yeah, I'm all over it. It's neon drenched. Yeah, certainly I've heard about it, and yeah. it, but it, it's funny. Like I, I'm I'm aware of it, but I don't know anything about the plot. Yeah. Well. I mean, other than it's a gangster movie, but <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, that's basically all you need to know. Uh, one of Notorious B.I.G.'s favorite movies. Sweet, you know, yeah. so yeah, I'm excited. That's, that's next week for you, or next? Are we doing these bi-weekly? Uh, we're releasing them bi-weekly, is the yeah, plan. So you guys got two weeks to catch up on on Robin Hood and uh, and King of New York, and listen to Kings, and listen to Kings. So there's only one thing we have to do before we say goodbye. Yeah, what's that? Dakota, what did you learn about Celia Dan this week? This week, I learned that they can be a lot more poppy, which really appeals to me. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm into that. I'm looking for these pop hits now. Bad, okay. bad well, news we'll, for years of experience with the rest of this podcast. Well, uh, no, I mean, there are, some, there are some hits. Yeah, They're yeah. just not like that. But, yeah. That's a, okay. That's a good takeaway, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've been saying good night. <laughs> so... Uh, wherever you are and whatever time of day it is, it's time for you to go to bed, listener. <laughs> Let us tuck you in sonically.